Welcome to Dispatches, the official podcast for the Journal of the American Revolution. The Journal of the American Revolution publishes weekly online at www.allthingsliberty.com. For the latest in research, reviews, and commentaries, America's Most Important History is available free of charge at the Journal of the American Revolution. That's Bill Manthorpe discussing father and son patriots that fell in battle. And he's our guest today. I'm Brady Kreitzer, and this is Dispatches. This episode is sponsored by the Small Battle Series, with two new releases, The Battle of Musgrove's Mill, 1782, by John Buchanan, and The Battle of Harlem Heights, 1776, by David Price. Available now wherever books are sold. Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to another episode of Dispatches. I'm your host, Brady Kreitzer. Today our guest is Journal of the American Revolution contributor Bill Manthor, and he'll be discussing the Deweese family, father and son, who both fell in the American Revolution. We often talk about the generational legacies of the American Revolution and the War of 1812, or the Seven Years' War and the American Revolution, or the Mexican-American War and the American Civil War, but we don't often talk about multiple generations who perish in the same conflict. We've seen that in the modern era, unfortunately, with the 20-plus year war in Afghanistan, but we don't often think of that in the American Revolution. Bill Manthorpe will show us how. So sit back, relax, and enjoy our interview with Bill Manthorpe. Bill Manthorpe, welcome back. Brady, nice to be back with you. Bill, remind us of your background. Well, as I said the earlier time, I spent 40 years as a naval intelligence professional. And so, uh, I, you know, I'm typically a researcher and writer. And in recent years, I've been writing and researching on the naval heritage of Delaware. But uh, that, of course, does not relate to this topic uh, because this is not uh, very, very naval. But what it's done is it's made me very skeptical of sources and as an intelligence officer. You always have to be worried about the motivations of your sources. So <clears throat> that's what got me involved in this topic. What first drew your interest into this topic? Well, let's start. It's, it is a family history or part of a family history. And I might as well just uh, describe the whole thing to you. Uh, I had researched my father's, the Manthorpe uh, line, all the way back and found a lot of interesting things. I had researched my mother's father's line all the way back and found a lot of interesting things. And I'd researched my father's mother's line back far enough to find out that uh, my great-grandfather and my great-uncle had been in a Pennsylvania regiment at Gettysburg and fought at the angle, which is on the battlefield of Gettysburg, just below the the monument there, the Pennsylvania Monument on the battlefield, and had been the ones that uh, uh, turned the tide when they shot General Armitage, who Confederate general who jumped on the, the stone wall and was about to overwhelm the uh, Pennsylvania regiment, and his death caused this, his forces to draw back. So... That sort of ended my interest in uh, my father's mother's line. But over the years, that was some time ago. 
But over the years, my uh, daughter has sort of picked up the genealogy line and was trying to flesh out the the uh, the uh, my father's line, both sides, all the way back, and uh, in trying to find out my grandfather's wife, who was English, somehow she got back into the 1700s and stumbled on the Deweese family and just found this William Deweese of Germantown, Pennsylvania. And she said, you've got to look, you've got to do more work on this guy. And she's busy. She's working still. And so <laughs> I dived into it at her urging and man, did I find out all kinds of interesting things. And what it's resulted in is my intention to probably in 2025 for the revolutionary sesquicentennial, uh, put to, uh, publish a book for the family, really, on William DeWeese of Germantown, his sons and grandsons in the American Revolution. And I'll probably title it A Founding Father. A founding family. So uh, that's where we are today. And I've pretty well finished most of my research and got it, got the the book drafts of the book pretty well done. Uh, and I'm just letting it sort of sit and register for a while before I get back into editing and trying to find a way to get it published and all. So I thought I'd write some articles that are derived from the book. So, and also, uh, there's a DeWeese family website, and if listeners want to uh, look it up, it's on, uh, it's, uh, well, uh, on so far, I've published the father, William DeWeese of Germantown, 1680 to 1701. Uh, he's the founding father of this family, and I posted that. And if they just, if anybody just wants to Google William Deweese of Germantown, WordPress.com, I'm sure they'll find it. He's the father, and that's the first chapter of the book after a prologue about how he was born in New Amsterdam. And so in publishing the articles, I just sort of sorted through and I thought, well, these guys are probably the most interesting to other people. So I'll, they're not my grandfathers they're my great uncle great uncle many times great uncles so i'll i'll start with them and so that's where the article originated tell us about william m deweese okay well he was uh william of germantown had four sons and william m uh was not the oldest but his career uh, he was the one that really pursued a career and uh, he also just uh uh, happened to uh, uh, marry Wright. He, uh, the family, I won't go into William M.'s life. It's on the web if somebody wants to look at it. But essentially, uh, William M. was, uh, first of all, a uh, uh, in Germantown. Uh, it was a very small community, and he became very good friends with the Potts family. And you, the Potts of Pottstown, Pennsylvania, who were the uh, famous iron makers and, and entrepreneurs of Pennsylvania. And then William M. himself uh, uh, 
got into, while they were building an iron empire, William M. was founding uh, churches, uh, and he founded a number of churches, reformed churches in Pennsylvania. Uh, and a lot of current denominations trace their lineage back to William M.'s church. But uh, he had a number of sons. He, uh, William M. was not the first son. Uh, Garrett was the oldest and such. But uh, William M., uh, apparently, when he was a boy, wandered the woods and uh, went north and got himself involved with the farmer family, whose land was just north of Germantown and just north of where William M.'s uh, paper mill was in, Spring, in Springfield, uh, Pennsylvania. So uh, he hooked up with the par- Farmer family, and eventually he married Rachel Farmer. Uh, and uh, uh, let me say now, <laughs> that's William M., okay. Uh, and so they had a, a son, a William Farmer DeWeese. So that's the people we're talking about. Uh, William M. was the son of William of Germantown, married Rachel Farmer, and uh, they had a son, uh, William uh, William uh, F. And so uh, William M. himself uh, was, first of all, uh, just involved with his brother in land sales and such, but he was doing very well and made himself a little bit of money and became uh, well-known around town. and was impo- appointed a justice of the peace for Philadelphia County. And at the t- time, John Potts uh, of Pottstown was a justice of the peace for another part of Philadelphia County. And justice of the pieces of, essentially were the courts for Philadelphia County. They sat on the orphans court and the other courts uh, together. And so William M. and the Potts family became very well known. And he served as a a justice of the peace for a number of years, and enough to be called William M. Esquire. And then uh, he retired from that and began to have some political ambitions, I suppose, and eventually uh, decided himself, but probably with the urging of the Potts family, uh, and you can see that in in, uh, the people who supported his campaign, uh, ran for sheriff of Philadelphia. And so he was elected sheriff of Philadelphia in October of 1773 and served as sheriff of Philadelphia until September of 1777 when the British occupied Philadelphia. Now, sheriffs have many, many responsibilities, uh, everything from supervising elections to holding sheriff's sales to supervising the constables. They are, in a sense, uh, uh, both sheriffs and and semi, uh, in those days, semi-district attorneys. They would take the the, the uh, prisoners that the, uh, the night watch of Philadelphia or the constables of Philadelphia found and brought in to him and then decide whether to, uh, to prosecute or uh, just send them to jail, and sending them to jail was bad enough to punishment in those days. Uh, so he did that. But in those days, of course, Philadelphia was in turmoil from uh, both uh, radicals and, 
and conservatives, I suppose you'd call them, uh, trying to determine whether Pennsylvania would go for independence and how soon and, and such. And so there were many huge demonstrations in Pennsylvania, everything from the Pennsylvania Tea Party right through uh, uh, the uh, the uh, group that John that uh, John Adams uh, encouraged to pressure the the delegates of the Pennsylvania Second Continental Congress to vote for independence. And so probably William M's biggest job was mob control or crowd control. And so he was on the spot outside the state house all during those years, uh, watching history of the United States evolve. What do we know about his military service? Well, he really had no military service. He was his service military, if you'd like to call it, was as was as uh, sheriff of Philadelphia for those years, seventy three to seventy seven. And how he died was we can't be absolutely sure, but he was still on the job as the British on the 26th of uh, September, 1777, uh, Cornwallis marched into Philadelphia, and he was probably one of the first persons they looked for and took captive. Uh, we assume, or I assume, that he was held, hopefully, in the State House with officers rather than in the uh, the old Philadelphia Walnut Street Jail, uh, which was uh, for for other types of people, uh, but there's no uh, there's no recognition of what he did, no information that I can find on what he did after 1777. Uh, so I assume he was captured by the British and died in captivity and is, is buried in Potter's Field, which is today Washington Square, Pennsylvania. We do know that by this time, of course, his son, William F., was long gone for, uh, you know, on his own career, and that he, he did manage to get his daughter, uh, Rebecca, out of town, and she went to live with William F., and uh, we really don't know what happened to his wife, Rachel, whether she managed to escape or whether she stayed and died in Philadelphia alongside him when he was in captivity. or uh, So his life, his the end of his life is at this point, totally unknown. Talk about his son, William F.'s background. Okay, well, William F., of course, uh, was the son of William M., and he was not the, uh, he was not the oldest son, but uh, he was the, the son who made his way in life. And uh, uh, he, he uh, well, it turns out that William M. himself, when Thomas Potts, died. Thomas Potts was the brother of John Potts, who, who inherited the uh, from his father, also named Thomas. But Thomas Potts, the first, let's call him, was the founder of the huge iron empire, many forges and many furnaces around, around Pennsylvania. And his son, John, joined him and became the heir to that empire. But John's, John's brother, Thomas, let's call him Thomas II. Uh, Thomas II uh, was inherited 
the empire was so large that all members of the family were participating in it and were were uh, partial owners of all of all the furnaces and all the fur- such and so thomas ii inherited a, a large part of it and when thomas ii died he made william m who he called my best friend uh, executor of his will and so uh Thomas had a large, Thomas II had a very large family, two wives, etc., uh, and children by both. And so there was a lot of uh, distribution of assets. Uh, but his daughters by his first wife, uh, Rachel and Hannah, uh, were to be given his Philadelphia properties, which were quite extensive and, and quite, you know, being in Philadelphia worth quite a bit of money. And so after all the executor business was done, it turns out that a year after his will was probated, William M's son, William Farmer, marries Rachel, uh, Rebecca Potts. And William uh, M's son, uh, Thomas, marries Hannah Potts. Well, we'll disperse with Thomas because that's another total story which will be interesting to people when I eventually get an article done. Uh, so William uh, F. went uh, with his his wife, uh, Rebecca, and they went to Pottstown, and they became integrated in the Potts family. And they, uh, William F. took charge of, first of all, a, uh, a tavern and such that was owned by John and ran that for a while. And then he partnered up with John's brother, William, and they ran a grist mill for a while. And eventually, William, who uh, married into the wife, or the, the daughter of the future mayor of Philadelphia, was thinking about disposing of a lot of his assets and focusing on a political career for himself or focusing on supporting his father-in-law and in society, uh, was be- disposing of his his assets, and he eventually he just turned over uh, what was then called Mount Joy Forge, which everyone knows as Valley Forge. He turned over half interest of that in that uh, to William F. and half interest in that to his other brother David, and so William F. became uh, a half owner of Valley Forge, and the brother David was in Philadelphia in the the business of selling the products of Valley Forge. Uh, And so William F. became the the manager uh, of the forge. And it turned out also that uh, one of the brothers, uh, uh, Potts brothers, uh, uh, um, I forget his name, had a grist mill at Valley Forge. And so he... uh, told William F. to become the manager of that while he went off back to Pottstown and, and got himself in, in a, open to tannery and such. So uh, William F. was basically half owner of Valley Forge, the manager of all the industrial complex at Valley Forge. And of course, with Valley Forge itself came uh, a large area, 300 and some acres of timberland and such to support the for 
charcoal to support the forge and all. So that's what he was doing. He was managing a Valley Forge uh, as the war uh, broke out. How did William F. serve George Washington? Right. Yeah. Well, that's that's what happened eventually. You know, war broke out. Uh, he was running Valley Forge. Uh, uh, of course, uh, they people came and took supplies from it. Uh, the Continental Army took supplies from it. Uh, the British came then, and and uh, uh, as the British, you know, after Brandywine, the British came north, uh, came over through the Great Valley, uh, camped in Tredyffrin, uh, which was then, by then, uh, William F., who lived with his family at Valley Forge, uh, but his wife, Rebecca Potts, had died three years after they were married, and he had married uh, a woman by the name of Sarah Waters, who uh, of the Waters family, and they were uh, people, uh, a prosperous family from Tredyffrin, Pennsylvania, near about five miles from Valley Forge. Uh, so he had moved uh, into Valley Forge, the uh, the old uh, Forge Mansion, as they called it, uh, and he brought Sarah. Although they had also bought some property and eventually built a house next door to her parents in Tredyffrin. So he was at Valley Forge as war broke out. Uh, when the Philadelphia militia was eventually created, he was appointed as a, a lieutenant commander, a lieutenant colonel in the militia, but he wasn't a, a military lieutenant colonel. He was a, a bureaucratic, uh, uh, it's very complicated, but he was a bureaucratic uh, lieutenant colonel who was responsible for getting guys into camp and getting them training, keeping their rosters and such. But he had no military uh, powers himself. Uh, but he was interested in that. Uh, he was doing his job. He tried to get some militia uh, at the uh, the nearby uh, French Creek powder mill. Uh, he didn't succeed in that. And eventually when it blew up, uh, he was implicated, but was not, but was exonerated for all of that. Uh, but he was still at Valley Forge. Uh, uh, the, the Continental Army took their supplies out of there. Uh, then when the British got to Tredyffrin, uh, they sent some, par- uh, some scouting parties out, and they discovered Valley Forge. Uh, they probably knew about it. They were just taking a look at it. And Washington had sent Hamilton and uh, 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 Light Horse Harry Lee to finish up getting all the supplies out of Valley Forge. And so on September 18th of 1777, they were there trying to get their supplies out. And the British arrived over the hill, Mount Joy, and uh, William was there helping them. And uh, uh, they had to run for their lives while the British occupied Valley Forge. And then two days later, on the 20th of September, uh, the British destroyed Valley Forge took what they wanted and then destroyed Valley Forge. And then two days later after that crossed the Schuylkill and four days after that moved into Philadelphia where they found William M. So William F after the uh, British had initially attacked Valley Forge and he had escaped with his life. He went back to Tredyffrin, uh, rounded up his, uh, his wife and family uh, whose their house had been raided, but they hadn't been, taken prisoner or anything, uh, rounded up his house, his wife and family, and they escaped across the Schuylkill to his 
uh, aunt's house, his brother-in-law's house, who was in the Pennsylvania regiment. And uh, it so happened that Washington decided his, to make his headquarters there in the home of Henry Antis, who was the son, or he was the brother-in-law, uh, he was the cousin of William F. So William F. took his family there, and lo and behold, there was George Washington. And we don't know what they talked about, but subsequently, William F. made at least, well, he made one trip into Philadelphia and was captured by the British and was about a month in captivity, uh, but finally so signed an oath of allegiance to get out, came back and reported to Washington. And Washington was writing a letter at the time to Howe. And as a PF, he said, I've just received information from two of my uh, two, two men, re reliable sources, uh, who related their stories about captivity in Pennsylvania, in Philadelphia. And uh, the details are too difficult to even focus on. And uh, so again, uh, William F. had certainly come back and reported to Washington after that trip. And then later, when the British were occupying Philadelphia, and Washington was at, uh, uh, after Germantown, we don't, I don't know where William F. was during Germantown, but after Germantown, he was outside of Philadelphia again. And while Washington had very good information about what was going on in Philadelphia from a number of uh, sources uh, he'd put, uh, you know, uh, agent operators that he'd put into place, uh, basically uh, uh, young captains uh, of the Continental Army who were running sources in Philadelphia. And of course, uh, he had uh, 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 sources outside of town too, but somehow William F., uh, also had sources in Philadelphia. And so when the British were preparing uh, to leave Philadelphia to attack Washington after Germantown, when he was up in the up uh, north of Germantown, uh, waiting, uh, deciding where to put his army for the winter, uh, he, he had a number of, uh, he had a certain amount of information. And we know, of course, that, you know, everybody has heard the story of the uh, the widow in Philadelphia who came out, uh, walked out and reported that the British were preparing to leave. Uh, and uh, that story has been all over. You know, that's the, the, the main story of how Washington learned. But uh, William F. also uh, sent Washington a letter which had the most accurate information of the timing of the British movements and the size of the British force. And so Washington was well informed uh, when the British came up and he was, uh, <clears throat> as they moved past Germantown, they tore it up again and moved north. Uh, and interestingly enough, uh, uh, when, when uh, Howe moved north of Germantown and established his headquarters, he established it right on the property that belonged to William M., and where William M. had built his mansion in the area of St. Thomas Church of White Marsh. 
where William M. Back in, uh, in when he was a sheriff, or just before he became sheriff, uh, when he was the justice of the peace, had built his family home. Uh, he, of course, wasn't there, but uh, and no, I doubt if his wife was there, and so the home was empty. And, and right in that area, and I don't know whether Hal really moved into the home, he didn't move into the church, but he camped, uh, he made his headquarters on that property, uh, and he he made some fainting movements at Washington, but Washington was well prepared. And so Howe decided that he wasn't going to do it, uh, attack and withdrew back into Philadelphia. So that was the end of William Penn, of William, William F's relationship with, uh, media relationship with George Washington. So then Washington moved his forces into winter campment eventually at Valley Forge. And there they were on property that was still owned by William F. And William F. still had ownership of the buildings and all there. And so the Continental Army moved into Valley Forge. And oh, by the way, William F.'s brother, Henry, who is my grandfather, great-great-grandfather, who had fought at Brandywine in Germantown, went with Washington to Valley Forge. So he was there as well. Uh, so his nephew, William F., he was on his nephew, William F.'s property. Uh, but William F. got in touch with Washington and said, these guys have torn up all my fences, cut down all my timber to build those cabins, and they're starting to tear up my house to get ironwork and doors and such for their cabins. Please get them to stop that. And so Washington initiated a general order of that, and we know from family stories, at least, that although William F. had moved back into his home in Tredyffrin, only five miles from Valley Forge, that William F. and uh, his wife, Sarah, often visited George Washington at Valley Forge because uh, Martha came in February of uh, 1778 and uh, started holding dinners and soirees and such for uh, the for the officers and William according to family stories William attended some of those and then William F probably during that time uh, offered his home which was the old Valley Forge iron makers mansion uh, to Washington as what they called the bakehouse and the baker general moved into that home uh, and the, apparently the ovens were outside the home uh, that baked bread for the, they couldn't feed all the soldiers, but they baked bread probably for the officers at Valley Forge there. And uh, the officers also held uh, uh, entertainments in that home that was owned by William F. And so uh, Washington left in the spring when the British left Philadelphia, Washington went on into Philadelphia, and uh, William F. began trying to reconstitute his life. Uh, he did, didn't return to Valley Forge. He went up to some some uh, Potts properties up in uh, uh, Bucks County, uh, tried to revive a forge there, but basically he was in debt, and basically over the years he was bankrupt. And uh, uh, one of the Potts brothers 
bought him. He and his father-in-law and one of the Potts brothers bought him out of bankruptcy. And, and we don't know where he died. Uh, he may have died in Tredifferin. Uh, he may have died uh, elsewhere. Uh, he had some properties elsewhere. He may have died on one of those properties. Uh, and his, de- his death date is unknown. Uh, the best biographer uh, of uh, the family, the farmer, basically the farmer family, uh, the best biography of the farmer family uh, gives his date anywhere, death date anywhere from 1792 to 1809. And that's based on the filings uh, to the Continental Congress for uh, for uh, recompense for all the damage that was done by the Americans and the British to Valley Forge to try to get some recompense. The, the one up to 1792 was signed by William himself. The ones after 1792 were signed by his, his children. Uh, uh, and... Uh, so it's unclear whether, and then the last one in 1809 uh, was the last one, last petition. And uh, out of that, eventually, uh, some years later, the family got um, 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 a measly sum in terms of dollars of the year recompense for the damage done at Valley Forge. So we don't know where William F. died. and his death date either, but he certainly died bankrupt and he probably died of ill health from stress and depression. Bill Manthorpe, thanks again. Well, I just want to say two, two men who gave their lives and honors and whole uh, fortunes as the signers did for the nation. The music played in this episode included works by Kevin McLeod and the Sturbridge Colonial Militia. Any unauthorized reproduction or use of this podcast, without the express written permission of the Journal of the American Revolution, is strictly prohibited. For everyone here at Dispatches, I'm Brady Kreitzer saying so long.